0: are you ready? Yeah, let's get started. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. And this season, we're focusing specifically on the language of change and how we drive effective communications. So let's jump right in. Akua, when it comes to communicating around change, how do you know if you've been effective? I think it really starts with how you feel towards things. Um, And one of the things that
1: we speak a lot about in coaching is the importance of your feeling. Towards things and the thoughts that you have towards things. And so if you're able to show up in a different way and it feels good, you're able to build habits and ultimately routines around that, and it feels satisfying, or you are using words such as, I'm actually enjoying the process of doing it, then you know that you're doing something right, that you're heading in the right direction. Because maybe initially when you first started, you felt a bit uncomfortable, but you knew it was in relation to something that you wanted to achieve. You knew it was in relation to this vision that you held for yourself. And you recognize that through making small adjustments, that how you feel towards it, how you start thinking towards it, the words you use to really describe it shift as well.
0: I love that. Now, for those of you who don't know her, Akua Yamimensa is a certified executive coach, recognized facilitator, and former startup leader that loves supporting reluctant, firefighting, and overwhelmed leaders, helping them clarify where they should focus their time and energy to be able to love themselves, their work, and their lives. And she's here today to share her insights around not only the language we use with others, but also the language we use with ourselves and how that impacts our ability to thrive through change. Now, I want to come back to your answer to the previous question, right? And key in on using the word, enjoying what you're doing. Is language for you a leading indicator or a lagging indicator of our experience? Do we see language shaping our experience and our emotions, or do we see it being indicative of the emotions and experiences we're already having?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. And I think it can be a bit of both. Um, but one of the things that I've come to learn, especially using coaching as the primary tool or modality in which I support others. And of course, first myself, I think that's a big thing for people to keep in mind. As we have this conversation, I think that someone who uses a lot of coaching tools and techniques, I am sort of the first patient, I'm the first client, Um, And a lot of things I'm testing on myself first before I ever use it with any of the people that I support or organizations I support. And so what I have found through my own coaching journey, my own coaching experiences is that I can actually shape a lot of how I think about things, a lot of how I experience things just by being a little bit more intentional with the words that I use And I think a great example of that, and all of you can find this information online, but a great example of that is sort of the power of gratitude. There are a lot of TED Talks out there about gratitude. There's a lot of research out there. And if focusing on the things that you're grateful for make you feel more grateful and get you more excited about the things that are coming your way, I think that's a great indicator that the language you use actually can really shape your reality right? Can really shape how you show up and shape how you engage with others, right? But sometimes things do become unbalanced because we are human beings. Life is not steady, right? We have ups and downs, so things can shift, right? So for example, if you're hangry, right? You haven't eaten all day, you're a little hungry, you might show up differently. The words you start to use might be different in your own head. The stories you tell yourself might be a bit different, and ultimately how you show up and engage with others could be different as well.
0: So let's talk about the way we talk to ourselves and the way we exercise our inner monologue. A lot of times when I hear my inner monologue, I think of it as almost involuntary, especially when my inner monologue gets negative. It's not something I feel like I can control. How do we take back control of our self-talk? How do we take back control of the language that we use with ourselves when it feels like it's kind of gotten out of hand?
1: Yeah. So this was, I think, one of the first things that I started to really focus on as I started my coaching journey. And I think the first step is really around cultivating your self awareness. So, the majority of the time, a lot of what we do, we just do sort of naturally, subconsciously. We don't necessarily have that much control over it. But what we can also do as human beings is take a second, take a breath, and maybe just try to reflect on what's happening. And so, I think the first step that a lot of us could maybe spend some time on is just getting a little bit more curious about what's coming up for us before we actually start to act, right? Before we actually start to do the things. Simply because a lot of what we do is automatic. We're human beings, right? Our brains are wired in that way so that we don't have to constantly make decisions, but we can take a second and take a breath and just reflect on maybe what we you know, think is driving it? What's coming up for us? What's that story we're telling ourselves? So I think it's really through getting comfortable with pausing, getting comfortable with maybe not constantly going really fast and just doing, doing, doing. And that's something that I know I've had to learn. Um, especially once again, if I think about, you know, Being a coach and sort of leveraging coaching tools and techniques, a lot of it is getting comfortable with pauses, getting comfortable with not constantly having to talk and know what you're going to say next, but just focusing on listening to others. And so I would say it's about first listening to yourself. Um, before you start to act, before you start to show up, and it's not easy. Let me also say that as well. It's not easy, and it's a lot of. You know, it's a lot easier to do, of course, when you feel you know well rested, when you know you've eaten, um, you know, a great meal. I think that there's a lot of things that we do as human beings that might disrupt that cycle. But thinking to yourself, what can you do to make sure that you can at least hold some of those elements as steady as possible? And I think that that's also going to have an impact, of course, on how you talk to yourself, whether or not you even are capable of being curious about the stories you're telling yourself and what's coming up for you.
0: I think this element of curiosity, it comes up a lot in, in some of the conversations that I've been having recently you know, I had one guest say, you know, you need to be curious, not furious. So it's about mm-hmm. taking that pause. And like, before you react, ask a question, there's the Covey seek first to understand and then be understood. The power of curiosity to reset how you're thinking about things and sort of give yourself a fresh start at a problem or a conversation or a train of thought. I think that's really powerful. When we talked before this call uh, we talked about how you got into coaching. I love that story. So can you can you tell our guests, sort of, what or our listeners how you got into coaching?
1: I thought I was a terrible leader, and actually, <laughs> I, I probably was a pretty a pr- pretty bad um, leader in some ways. And so, I was introduced to coaching as a way to build better rapport with a team I had inherited. Actually, a, technically, a business, an online business. I always sort of put it down, but I mean, it was an online platform. But there were a lot of people behind that online platform. And, you know, I was, you know, invited uh, to go to another country, take over a team, I had already been in charge of the same business in Ghana. And so I was going to Nigeria to take over the business there and the team that was existing there. And one of the first things that the powers that be wanted me to do was to reduce the team headcount. And so yeah, so I kind of went in there and you know, was asked to do a lot of things, you know, told I had to do a lot of things. And of course, I wasn't necessarily seen in the best light. Other elements, of course, I think come into it as well. Working at a high growth startup that was, I will say, incredibly well-funded, but at the same time, we were doing a lot of things that were new and, you know, made a lot of mistakes, learned a lot and, you know, was introduced to coaching, as I mentioned before, as a way to sort of reconnect with the team, I had never been coached before, but, you know, decided to invest in this coaching credential and really haven't looked back since. It really forced me to, I think, reconsider a lot of my own assumptions I had about myself, assumptions I had about engaging with others, assumptions I had about influence. And I think most importantly, assumptions about how I can show up and what's, what is possible for myself. And I think it's been a really interesting journey once again, and sort of Thinking about how I can show up, what I can do differently, and what does that mean for how I connect with others, influence others, engage others, and ultimately get people to do things they never thought they would do before. And so yeah, that's kind of how I got into coaching and uh, never thought I would ever practice as a coach. always thought I'd sort of leverage coaching within an organization as a manager um, or a co-founder, but you know, ended up starting my own coaching consulting practice about four years ago. And really enjoy it. That's amazing.
0: I love the vulnerability in that story. Like recognizing that there are, that you have gaps and then going out and finding ways to to fill them in non-traditional ways, right? Like finding out how to be even your own coach in conjunction with being able to coach others. And as we think about leadership, I think that's so critical is being an effective leader doesn't mean getting it right the first time, every time. I think that it pertains to language as well right? You're going to say things you're going to, when you're presenting something, when you're sharing feedback, when you're introducing change and talking about change, you're going to say things and you're going to get it wrong at some point. And you need to be able to recover. How do you work with your clients and what sort of advice can you give around having gotten it wrong, then making the switch and recovering?
1: I think that you know, when Maybe I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record, but I think that first step is really around cultivating that self-awareness piece. I think I talk a lot about you know self-awareness simply because that tends to be one I think of the most important characteristics of a successful leader. I think if you are open to or curious, right, to to reflect on how you come across to yourself and the fact that that might come across differently to others, you really will show up in a different way and you will be curious you will ask questions about whether or not your message was received and if it wasn't received what can you do differently right and that's sort of the second step of what I love to teach which is that engagement piece right if you are curious about yourself you tend to start to get curious about other people and you start to engage and start to think about well if I'm showing up this way you know what does that mean for everybody else right and that's when you can start to think about things from a you know the perspective of a spectrum where it's like, well, if I'm here, what does that mean about engaging with someone different from me? Um, or the opposite of me, and, and how can I do that better? And how can I, I show up and and provide a space where they're successful? So I would say that it's really about starting with yourself and being curious and, and you know, being open to challenging yourself, like you mentioned before, recognizing that you will get it wrong and that's fine even with the work that I do, you know, I, I speak for a living, I facilitate for a living, I stumble over my words all the time, I have a podcast, I must make mistakes with the words, I just made a mistake there, right? So recognizing that those things happen, and that's okay. And I think for a lot of people, they feel that being a leader means that you have to show up in a way that's you know, perfect, and that can be very paralyzing, right? And that can also make you reluctant to really step up into that position. So just recognizing that we're all just human beings, right? None of us are robots. And if you're willing, and you're curious, that's really where I think you're gonna be able to make a better connection with yourself. So you know, right, how to motivate yourself, how to move forward. um, And that you also learn how to engage with others so that once again, you can do things, you can achieve things that maybe you never thought you could or the people that you're working with who never thought were possible.
0: Particularly for our listeners who may feel like their organizations are not as forgiving, not as lenient, that their organizations really are, are brutally punishing for non-first-time right performance. How do we give ourselves that grace when we feel like our environment doesn't and actually punishes? anything other than perfection?
1: That's, that's a really great question because yes, I do tend to work with a lot of individuals that have the ability to really shape the environments that they're in. But I think it's important to recognize that not all of us, right. Have that opportunity. So what does that mean if we're working within that environment, right? We don't work within vacuums. There is a reality around how we work a lot of times and structures to how we work. And we don't always have control over them. I, you know, Whenever I reflect on or think about some of my clients that maybe aren't necessarily at the top, you know, maybe more middle managers, people that have to work within, you know, existing structures, one of the first things I always love to share with them is the importance of recognizing that, you know, they are not the organization. And so it's important for them to get very clear on what they need in order to be successful outside of the organization, beyond the organization. I think that that's really key. Um, what comes up for me as you ask that question is also this: the concept of resilience and how I think it's so important to recognize that you can be as resilient as you want, but if you work within an environment where you're constantly being put down, constantly being told that you're not enough, there's really nothing that you can do, especially if you're not in a position to make that change or you don't have access to the resources or the sponsors within the organization to make that change. So a part of it is just getting very clear on sometimes what your intent is, um, why you're there, what you're hoping to achieve, and then just constantly just checking in with yourself to see whether or not you're still fulfilling that, whether or not you're getting further or closer to the goals that you've set for yourself in relation to being within that environment and that space. I think there are times, unfortunately, where you do have to, you know, have a conversation with yourself or maybe even others where you have to just say, hey, this was a great space for me between this season and that season. And maybe now I'm looking for a space that looks a little bit different. Um, I know that's a hard conversation to have. That's not always something that even if I'm reflecting on some of the clients I have, want to have, but there definitely been times when I've had conversations with clients and we're going through their goals, we're going through their vision and they start to just recognize that they've maybe outgrown that environment that they're in. But a lot of times we are so busy sort of in this rat race and just doing, doing, doing that we don't always even recognize that we're within an environment that's actually quite punishing because we just accept it as reality. And we think that, well, it must be the same everywhere. Um, I think it's also important to note that you know, sometimes the grass is greener, right? Elsewhere, that idea of like, if I go someplace else, it'll be better. And that's not always the case. And so that's why it's really important for us to reflect on, you know, what is it we want to get out of whatever environment that we're in? Because no environment's going to be perfect, even working for yourself. It's not always <laughs> rainbows and uh, sprinkles. So it's, it's really important to get clear on, you know, what some would say is your why or that intention and make sure that you have space and you create space to, to restore yourself and whatever that looks like for you, it's going to look different for everyone. For some, you know, it might be, you know, being able to enjoy a meal for others. It's going to be able to have space to really enjoy their kids. You know, for me, it's making sure I get good sleep. So good sleep and food is really important to me. So it's really, once again, about, I think cultivating your awareness around what's going to be helpful and how can you make sure that happens? And trying to, to be in environments where they allow you to get as close to that as possible.
0: Now, when we recognize the need for a change, and maybe that's the first sort of part of my question is whose responsibility is it to recognize that need? But once Ooh. a need is recognized, as we think about the relationship between a coach and a coachee, a leader and a subordinate or a team leader and team members, where does the burden fall in terms of driving that change across that spectrum of leadership?
1: Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, the first thing that came to mind when you said sort of coach and coachee, the first thought that came to mind is no one external of you can make you change. You have to want to change yourself. I get asked a lot by like board members. And sometimes when I'm doing work with like, especially, especially like startup, like C-suite, I'll be asked by like the CEO, like, how can you make this person change? And I'm like, well, for some people, unfortunately, they have to hit a brick wall. Like something unfortunately has to go awry. Their health, unfortunately, maybe has to go out the window before they're willing to change something. Uh, For some people, unfortunately, it does take a shock. To their system or to their money for them to, to realize it's time to do something different. During my holidays, I was talking to somebody who used to work at one of the big consulting companies. And he talked about how whenever someone was like about to like make a huge jump within their organization, they got them an executive coach. And you know, after working with the executive coach, all of a sudden everyone liked them. And it's like, why do we have to wait that long for, for people to, you know, get to that point? So that's the first thought that comes to mind, especially as it relates to the coach and coachee relationship. As a coach, I'm I'm just there to to a lot of times just create that environment, a lot of times that safe environment um, for them just to reflect, because a lot of the leaders I work with are so busy just doing, doing, doing that they never have time to reflect. So it's that safe space where they can reflect and talk through things that actually might be scary or different and try on new ideas. My role as a coach is typically to play devil's advocate, to provide another perspective. Um, but I think it's important to remember that if you do work within an organization, you are a subordinate um, that once again, you can only have but so much influence, so much impact. And it's you know important for you to also recognize that you know, if you see something repeatedly not changing, you've tried to influence, to impact, to to have conversations with the right people and you feel like it's not moving in a direction where, you're seeing the type of change you'd like to see and it's really beyond you or even above you. Um, I think it's, once again, that's time for you to reflect on, you know, what is it I'm doing here? Am I getting what I want out of this situation? And if not, you know, where would I like to go next and how can I make sure that I either have a better understanding of, you know, these elements um, or have a better impact on these elements.
0: And this is where I think it comes back to your advice around intentionality. And your advice around like articulating your intentions and what you're looking for, oftentimes you know people ask you, ask, "Do you know what you want?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course I know what I want." Well, what is that? Well, um, I don't have the words for it right now. If you don't have the words for what you want, you can't communicate what you're looking for. And if you find yourself in an environment it doesn't meet your needs anymore and you need to go do something else, your words have to be more than, I need something that's not this. Yes. Right, we need approach goals, not avoidance goals.
1: Yes, I I 100% agree, yeah.
0: Now, I know we're coming up to the end of our time together here, but before we go, if people come away with just one piece of advice on crafting effective messages and using language effectively to drive change, what would that advice be?
1: Just be curious, what's coming up in your head? And if you're comfortable with it, start to write that down. You know, start to write down really how you feel and how you feel towards specific things throughout the day. It's really been interesting. Once again, thinking about my own journey and even reflecting on, you know, when I support my clients, how much power there is in being able to identify that, you know, something doesn't feel right. And then once you've identified that, you've labeled it, it's so much easier to actually start to think about what you wanna do differently in relation to whatever that task is or responsibility. I do a lot of work with productivity, so that's, that's sort of why I come at it from that angle. And a lot of it, you know, even when we think about this concept of productivity, it's it's about how you feel towards it. And that's why having language to communicate how you feel towards a task or responsibility can be so powerful because once you're able to label it, you're really able to take action. And just to make sure I mention this, that action can also be honestly just wallowing in it sometimes a little bit. I don't see anything wrong with that being like, I hate doing this and maybe having a mini tantrum for five minutes after you've had that tantrum, what can I do about it? Can I delegate this? Do I really need to do it? Is it in alignment with some of these bigger goals I have? But the advice I have is, you know, start thinking about how you feel towards some of your tasks and responsibilities. You know, if you can start off your day, even reflecting on how you feel, you'll be amazed at, how much easier it is for you to show up for yourself, how much easier and more. And I don't actually like the word productive, even though I do talk a lot about productivity, but how productive and you can insert any word that um, you feel comfortable with. I like to use the word successful and satisfied. Those are my words. You will be sus- yeah, surprised at how satisfied you are with your day.
0: Well, thank you, Akua. I know I've learned a lot today and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Now, if our listeners want to connect with you directly or... Learn more about your work and your podcast, how should they go about doing that?
1: Yeah. Um, so you can just check out my website. So that is just my first name. So that's A-K-U-A, and then N as in Nancy, M as in Mary.com. And you're also welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Just search my name as well.
0: Excellent. And I do encourage folks to do that. I've listened to Akua's podcast. And it is full of great advice as well. So quick shout out. Absolutely. If you have more listen time, we only come out once a week. So you have more listening time. Make sure that you're you're listening around to our guests as well. Perfect. Now we'll be sure to include those links in the show notes. I really appreciate your time and your perspective here. Hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own teams. If any of our listeners would like to bring these kinds of conversations to their own organizations, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule an intro call. Thank you so much, Akua.
1: Thanks so much for having me.